Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Take a walk down memory lane today as former basketball coach Don Callen and sports information director Mark Womack relive historic memories of their times together on the Cedarville University Yellow Jacket basketball team. Enjoy this conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Hello, everyone, and I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's program, in some ways, is a follow-up to a conversation I had with Mark Womack, Sports Information Director at Cedarville, back in February. Because we were tight on time, I promised to have him back with the hope of having his former college basketball coach, Don Callen, join us in studio. Well, that's what's going to happen today on the program, and I'm confident you are going to enjoy today's spirited conversation. Mark Womack is Cedarville's SID, a position he's had since 1983, the year after he graduated from college. Mark is a former Yellow Jacket basketball player coached by Don Callen and is a member of Cedarville's Athletic Hall of Fame. Athletically, Mark's name is sprinkled throughout the basketball record books, including being the 27th highest scorer in university history with 1,357 points while shooting 57% from the field for his career. That is remarkable. He was the MVP for the 1981-82 Yellow Jackets. All of the success that Mark achieved on the basketball court, he will quickly credit his coach, Don Callen. Don was a successful basketball coach at Cedarville, accumulating 578 victories over his 35-year Hall of Fame career. In addition to a strong coaching career, Don helped guide young men in the faith through annual international mission trips, including 35 to the Philippines. It's my pleasure to welcome Mark Womack and Coach Don Callen to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Good to be here. Good to see you, Coach. Welcome back, Mark. Thanks, well, at Mark. my age, it's good to see me at any time, I guess. How old are you? 88 and a half. You don't look 88. No, I don't feel 88, but my kids say I am. <laughs> but you still live an active life, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were just today in Columbus with... Uh, Brian Hanson, yeah, yeah. We travel, we do a lot of ministry together with sports... Yeah. So, yeah, I'm his, I'm his tag along. Well, keep tagging. I'm, and he sometimes thinks I'm the lead, but I am not. He's the lead. He's a humble guy. He's a humble guy. Well, it's a, it's a treat for me to have both of you in studio today, because when I think about Cedarville University, I think back to when I first met both of you. That was back in 1989 when I was the— Sports Information Director at Mount Vernon Nazarene University. We, we beat you a couple times, Coach. Uh, you were the most hated people around. <laughs> I, I want to get to that. I want to yeah, get to okay. that in the podcast. But I always enjoyed coming to Cedarville. And I shared this with Mark in the podcast last month. But I always enjoyed coming to Cedarville because I loved the atmosphere of the crowd and the music of the pep band. Not so much the games because it was hard to beat you here in Cedarville. So those were really good games, weren't they? They really were. Those are competitive, the very good competitive nature the games were. Why? What What made them so competitive? I don't know. I guess I, coaches, we liked one another, and uh, we got along real well, but we fought like maniacs on the court. Right. But uh, I don't know. It was it was a fellowship, I think. In fact, we were more than just competitors. We were friends. For whatever reason, it seemed like these uh, games against like institutions, um, even though, you know, Cedarville Baptistic, Mount Vernon Nazarene, 
just seemed the intensity seemed to go up a notch for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know it was a proud fat pride factor or whatever. You could sense it in the crowd and the yeah. players, yeah. and yeah, it was it was a incredible rivalry. Was that was that one of Cedarville's favorite rivalries? Yeah, it was one. It was one of the most intense rivalries I think. Grace College was probably better because of the seminary. We sent students there, graduates there, and they'd. All week, they'd tell those people how tough we were and how they were going to smear them. Did we beat you guys? Because you do, you do know I'm a Grace alum, right? Yeah, yeah. As much as we did at Mount Vernon, it was, it was tit for tat. Okay. So back to the Mount Vernon and our connection. I mean, it's hard to believe that I've known you guys 33 years, and I've, I've only worked here 12, but it's my re- recollection that Mount Vernon traveled well. I mean, Nazarene fans from... Mm-hmm. This area were, Correct. came to the game a lot, right? right? And that right. added a lot. Exactly. Yes, it did. There was usually a good crowd, a loud crowd from the visitors, and our our local kids do a pretty good job too. Right. And again, I, I, I coach. I was talking to Mark in in last month's podcast. Just uh, how enjoyable it was to play in the atmosphere that you had in. I never was in Tyler, but I was always in your mm-hmm. building that's mm-hmm. named after mm-hmm. you. Um, what was it like to coach in an environment like that? You know, when I came to Cedarville, I, I didn't know what to expect because we were in Alford then. Oh, wow. And then uh, this it was packed every every game. How many people could get in there? Oh, gee, I don't know, 300 maybe? Yeah, pretty small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was packed and 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 the volume was, was big. And I enjoyed that, but I came from a school in Indiana, high school, that we had a, a gymnasium for 3,300 when I left there. Yeah. And uh, so I, I was used to big the big scene in that regard. Not that I was that good yeah. <laughs> at winning, but nonetheless, the big time. So it was, it was and the people there heard I was going to the university or college, and they were very impressed that I was moving up. Yeah. And I came over here and I moved down in a lot of respects yeah. because it was, an un, it was an unrefined program at that time. Right. It was young. They were young. They just took over the— School in '53, I think it was, and I came in '60. So, yeah, and then we're, we're still working along. And uh, I came into a good situation, and it's always been a good situation. I don't think I answered your question, but yes, it was. It was. Uh, it was. Those were fun, fun yeah. games. If game being beaten can be fun, that would, you know, that was the only part to, the, for coaching. I mean, you win or lose, and I always enjoyed winning much better. It was a phenomenon for some reason, and I think you experienced that when you came, you know, to see those Mount Vernon. It was a phenomenon, and, you know, we didn't have to give away free T-shirts, uh, got hit so many shots, you're going to get a free pizza. All you had to say was, there's a game tonight, and people were there, and it, the atmosphere was on its ear, as you experienced, yes. and, and yeah, it was easy to to play in as well. It was the only show in town. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, with Cedarville's not, you know, the kids couldn't walk. They didn't have as many cars, right. so they weren't going places. And like I said, it was it was an exciting place to be, yeah. the place to be. Well, f- for those who are listening who may not remember it, um, I would equate it to today as kind of like a um, March Madness atmosphere. No mm-hmm. It was tournament time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it seemed that way. It was always more important than anything else, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we enjoyed those those competitive games. But we had hard, difficult uh, competitors, and in, in, you go around to—it was a mid-Ohio conference. Correct. So it was, it was somewhat concentrated in that regard. It was right. really intense every game. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember that. So I want to go back um, to a moment that involved both of you. And it, it was, I believe it was Mark's, I don't know, junior or senior year. And the Yellow Jackets were playing Defiance College. Okay, this was, when was that? Is that junior year or senior year, Mark? You're talking about the last game yeah. in the old junior. building? Yeah, my junior year. So your junior year, uh -huh. uh, you, you guys had the opportunity to advance to the NAI National Tournament, be, be uh, District 22 champions. And uh, there were just a few seconds remaining in the game. And Mark hit a jump shot with a second or two left that won the game for Cedar Hill, 80 to 78. Coach, were you just a really smart coach? I would say yes. Well, I know. <laughs> let me rephrase that. You know, you were either really a lucky coach or a really smart coach because when you had the ball with just a matter of a few seconds left, you have on your team the all-time leading scorer in university history on, your, on that team, yeah. and you set up a play for Mark Womack to take a jump shot. What were you thinking? Yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> I, I'd say it was, uh, I was smart. I was smarter than the average fan because everyone in the place thought Mounts were going to take a shot. Absolutely. So I had him take the ball out of bounds, and that confused the opponents to start with. Then I had a, a kid that could understand everything I said. He was smart. And that's Mark. He was smart. He knew yeah. exactly what I was calling, yeah. and I set it up for him, and he also was our best shooter. If you had a shooting contest, he would win. Over Eric. Oh, yeah. Eric was a great scorer, but he let the ball fly almost in any <laughs> blink, you know. I mean, he he never saw a bad shot. Well, Mark, I can't his, wait. I can't wait till <laughs> Eric hears this. Yeah, well, he'll probably be mad at me, but it, he'll say no. It's true. Uh, but I, I I wanted the shot in the range that Mark was most proficient in, and that was inside twenty feet. And yeah, and, uh, and about I think it ended up being about seventeen, eighteen feet, didn't yeah. it, Mark? Something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And but I had no doubt. I knew I had it. I just knew because we'd run. And the other thing was we ran a pattern offense. Okay. So if you threw the ball such a place, you knew what the other guys were going to do. And and so I just reversed it. And that Mark was the only one who could understand that. So rather than, than, than him picking for a guy, he was the picky, yeah. I guess you'd say. Yeah. Anyway, he was the one that got, got open. So yeah. it, was just a, it was just an easy, easy swing. And he swung to the left side of the court where the ball was so it wouldn't be a long pass. So yeah, I would I thought I would say in that sense I was the smartest guy in the building. He's brilliant. That's, 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 that's brilliant. That's yeah. coach of the year material right there. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure I got it. I'm sure I got it. <laughs> so, so in the huddle, I mean, you guys are all intense. So there probably wasn't any time to think about it. But what was the thought, or was there a thought between like you, Mark, and Eric, mm -hmm. and others thinking, what is coach doing? I don't, I don't remember that at all. And, you know, not to sound mushy, but those of you that have watched the movie Hoosiers, you think of that huddle moment at the end of the game before um, Jimmy Chitwood hits that last shot. I, I just kind of have memories of that. I mean, we're, we're in the huddle. The, you know, the bench then was the first row of the bleachers uh, on the one side of the gym. So that's where we are, and coaches kneel down in front of us. And there wasn't much time to, you know, come up with an alternative and – I don't whatever reason, question. He, he shared that, and we just went out on the court and and executed. And honestly, Eric and I have never really talked about that specifically yeah. since that since that time. So you didn't have much time, Coach. I don't think to really think no. of the plan because no, just, it was automatic in my mind. I just think so, that's the way to try. So when Defiance had the turnover, traveling with yeah. what eight seconds, nine seconds left, and you immediately called timeout. Yeah, I think so. 
And then we, we put it in bounds to just get it to half court. Oh, okay. So, so where, put, where was the ball? Because we had to go the length of the court okay. in eight Even seconds. after a score. So we brought, it, we brought it in bounds and just got it to half court to, to cut the distance in half. It and was a turnover, right, by Defiance? They turned it over with eight seconds to go of a tie game. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So four seconds to get to half court, and you had Correct. four seconds to get the shot off. Yep. And that was the, that was the right yeah, call. He didn't need the whole four seconds even. So, you know, the game was drastically different back then. No yeah. three-point line, no shot clock. No media timeouts. No media. You just got five timeouts. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably a good thing. The three-pointer when it came in was was disturbing to coaches because these kids had never shot three, so yeah. usually. Right. And if they were, well, Eric always shot three, but he didn't know it. <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't have the line down there then. <laughs> right. right? But uh, And he was phenomenal, by the way. Yeah, he was. People may not realize, and I talked to Mark about this in last month's podcast, is that last shot not only took you to Kansas City, but it also was the last field goal made in Tyler. That's right. It was. So does that add any more luster to the legacy of the aura of that whole experience for both of you guys? I had no thoughts of that, but I am not one to think things like that. Yeah. My wife might have, right. but I sure didn't. Yeah. I never thought of that even as the last shot. Right. A lot of good Hall of Famers go through that building, which he would have coached. Yeah. Dozier Carter, Al Knott, Bruce McDonald, Eric, yeah. you know, those types, and to coach all of those games. And, you know, the yeah. last shot is just icing on the cake, at least from my experience here. But I'm sure for, you know, all those games he coached in that building as well. If it had been anybody, one beside Mark, they'd have been bragging yet today. <laughs> Mark was a do-business kind of a guy, and he had his, he had, knew what he could do, and he did what he could do. One thing I've learned about Mark in the 33 years that I've known him is he's steady yeah. and he's humble, and yeah. he's, he's not looking for glory. Yeah, yeah. So I'm talking with Coach Don Callen and Mark Womack about their basketball experiences back in the 70s and 80s here at Cedarville. Coach, do you have a favorite memory from your 35-year career? That's a very unfair question because you have a long history, but is there a favorite memory, favorite team, favorite experience that comes to mind um, when I ask that question? The things I remember most are probably the mistakes I made. And I remember one time uh, chewing out Kenny Rucker when he was a freshman. Mark, you were probably around here then. Yes, yes, anyway, we were doing a scrimmage or practice game with, with Sinclair and uh, I remember over there, and the referees called a foul, or blew the whistle, and gave me a, uh, gave me a tee. And I, I said, whoa, 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 what's this all about? And I said, the kid, the kid cussed at me. Yeah. And I called Kenny over said, Kenny, what did you say? And he told me exactly what he said because <laughs> he wasn't dishonest either. And, and I said, you didn't. He said, I did. And I said, you sit on the bench. And, and, and uh and I remember that when I got home, I told Nedra. She never went to that game because it was just practice type of thing. Okay. And, and I told her what happened. She said, where is he now? I said, well, he's probably in his dorm. She said, you better go talk to him. And I said, you're kidding me. You think I got it? He said, yes. And I took her advice, went up, knocked on the door. It was vacation time. Okay. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was a Thanksgiving break or what it was. Anyway, and and. Uh, Pretty soon the door opened, and there stood Kenny with tear marks down his face. Really? And I said, can I talk to you? And he said, yes. And I went in, and I, I, Tony, I said, you know why I had to punish you? And he said, yes. And so I said, I'll tell you what, let's just forget that. That's, that's a product of your environment. 
Yeah, it was. He came from inner city, inner city of Philadelphia, right. and he didn't even know an athletic Christian during that time when he came to Cedarville. Right. And uh, so I said, let's just forget that. And you've got an adjustment to make in that. And so you better, you, you tr- make sure you make that. And I started him the next game and he played, I think, started every game after that in his career. One of five players to have his jersey number retired. Well, he's a, he was a phenomenal player. He, he phenomenal was, athlete. Well, they, people ask me who's the best athlete. I said the most functional athlete I had may have been Kenny Rucker. Could literally all play time. all five positions, yeah. liter- literally. He, he, he if did. I need a point guard, he's a point guard. If I need a post, he's post. That coupled with the, the incredible story of his life is just yeah. an incredible story at Cedarville. And the the story of his life is most memorable. Right. I didn't know where his dad was. Yeah. Didn't know where his mom was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, he was just roaming. And they took him in at the Christian school. And How did you find him? Dave Lesko. Okay. He was a he was my best recruiter right at that, that time. And when I took went out to visit the school and went in and sat down and talked with Kenny Rucker, Nedra was with right beside me mm-hmm. and we interviewed him and and they say, We'll see you then, Ken. And my wife said, You get him. Really? I mean, that's just the way he impressed her. Yeah. She said, You gotta have him. Was it hard to get him? Not really. I don't know that we did anything special. Yeah, ironically, we we retired his number before a Mount Vernon game, so that really that really juiced up the crowd that night, and uh, hmm. it was when Mount Vernon was in town. So, what year was that? You recall? I mean, he graduated '93, and we didn't wait long. He was that level yeah. of an athlete. It might have been just the next winter. It wasn't no more than two years, and um, I remember us he introducing was well him. Yet. I was fortunate to be the one on the court introducing the event. And before I, I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth totally. And the place just erupted when Ken walked out. I mean, he was well, well loved for many reasons, even beyond basketball. He wasn't perfect. And he never was. He, he swore after that a couple of times. Yeah. But he said, Coach, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I remember we lost a game where he did it. Oh. And, and he was absolutely rock bottom. We went in the locker room and, sat down and I said, I suppose you guys are all hate Ken. And they said, no, no, no. And I said, Kenny, listen. Yeah. I said, we know your story. Yeah. And we feel bad about it. And you shouldn't have done it. But we're we're thanking the Lord that you know him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, we're, and we're all together. And we're all together. Some of the most teachable moments are not on the court. They're That's in the right. locker room. In the locker room and practices you know, in the coach's home, van trips, and that's what fans don't see. They, they don't. And yeah. I don't think I was very good at really, really. I bra- I talk brash, you know, but I was probably the poorest coach they've had. You know? Best example. Great example. Yeah. yeah well, I, I tried to live the life. And let, let me transition to that great example, because in addition to coaching the team, Don, you also built in the lives from a spiritual perspective in many ways, including taking your players on mission trips. Why was mission trips and ministry important to you and to infuse that into your team? Well, because I, when I was in college, my old coach, Don Odell, of all the players he had, I was the one who was most attracted to him okay. and tried to copy exactly who he was. I couldn't do it. He was a great speaker. He put, he put the audience on their under back laughing, and then he'd have him on their knees praying. I mean, he was phenomenal. And I wanted to be Don Odell or like him. Okay. And part of his thing was taking us, making us uh, as athletes 
uh, witnesses for Christ. That's what he wanted us to be. And he started athletes, what we called Adventure for Victory back then. And he started that uh, because Madame Shung Kai-shek, through one of our graduates, requested a basketball team. Okay. And she didn't know any other coach, or he didn't know any other coach than Don Odell. So he called him and said, can you bring a basketball team to, to Taiwan? And he said, sure. So we spent about a month in Taiwan playing basketball and witnessing to those service people that they had. Chiang Kai-shek brought from the mainland of China. And uh, so we went in, and she wanted, Madame Chiang Kai-shek, ask us to do something that would bring them to reality of what life is all about. And she was a believer, okay. and she wanted to share Christ with them, and we did. And we had a phenomenal, phenomenal time. The, I remember the first stadium, they said it held 12,000. It's probably, if it held 10, I'd be surprised. But anyway, they were packed in. And we, we have the game. We Halftime, we witness. And then after the game, we said, we want to. if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, stay in your seat. The rest of you leave. Yeah. Nobody left. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, okay, let's give them sermon number two. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Bud Schaefer, an All-American from Wheaton College, who was— one of the most fantastic persons I ever met would stand and he stood up and he was captivating the way he spoke and he he did it again. And he said, now, if you're interested in knowing Christ, we'll meet on these four corners of the court. And hardly anyone knew. There's some left. Hmm. And so we spent a couple hours there witnessing for Christ. And I don't know how many, if any, came to Christ. That's not my business. I'm only supposed to chair. God does. He takes care of that. I don't have any to do with it. And so... But anyway, that was my example, mm-hmm. and that was under Coach Odo. And so when I came to Cedarville, I said, hmm, I bet I can get this done because I know Filipinos. I know those right. people, and I can make contact. Right. And Jim Entner, my first captain here at Cedarville, Jim and Esther Entner went there as missionaries, and they were there. And I was over the, in the Orient, and, and I went to visit them. I said, if I bring a team, can you help me? Yeah. And they said yes. And so Esther really Okay. And she's here in Cedarville right now. Right, she is. And mm-hmm. that, Jim that passed away. Yeah. And uh, it's funny when I talk about my kid dying. But yeah. uh, anyhow, that was what started this whole thing. And then I, I thought if it's good for them, why wouldn't it have been good for the music people or the puppet scenes or the whatever, you know? And so I, I broadened out my missions outreach. And with the support of the administration, it, it caught on. And so I, I don't know what our, our biggest number of people out in the summer was, yeah. but it was over 350. So what was the impact on you on mission trips to the Philippines or wherever else you may have gone? Yeah, I got to go the one time, summer 1980. I think Coach mentioned uh, before is one of the tougher trips to the Philippines he, he took because we were only on a plane one time. We were on buses and... And I knew those that had gone before me, if I'm not mistaken, General Lauren Reno was on your first team. So, you know, hear all those stories. And so, you know, as players, when you come here, and not all of my teammates went, it, different things would happen for things we to, opened to, it up to the line up. population. Yeah, it's general student population. body could, could come too. And that's where it, it's developed to today where we have mission trips, right? That, you were the impetus for all that. Athletes for Christ. Yeah, and I, yeah. Would, and I had trustees told me I was wrong. Uh, like on my that. trip, the alumni director went. He okay. went and played. Um, but it's just practical Christian living, getting out of your element in the United States. And, and basketball is, was the hook in the Philippines. It's I a mean, universal they language. come out and watch it. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an incredible experience. You could hear a ball dribbling at 5.30 in the morning, almost for light. Wow. Yeah. So unfortunately, we are nearing the end of time for this 
podcast. Not the end of time in life, but in, in a, I was going to say, I've, I have, I'm threatened from several. <laughs> yeah. But I want to ask you guys each a question. Coach, I'll start with you. So you've been away from the game a long time, but you've had a, a huge impact on countless number of players that you've coached. How meaningful is it for you to stay in contact with those players? And does it ha- how, how frequently does it happen? Well, that's a, I, I don't know the answer. Friends stay friends. Yeah. And so whenever, wherever we would meet or if they were on campus or coming to homecoming or whatever, or I'd see them advertise somewhere doing something else, I would make contact with them. But most of the time it was a mutual thing. We just happened to, to meet. And those guys, I think they knew what my heart was, I think. And uh, I'm sure that over the years they prayed for me more than they should. I had a group of seven or eight women out of our church, okay. the president's wife. Ruby Jeremiah mm-hmm. was one of the, the key ones in that. And she she called me one time and she said, me and my friends, and there were, I think, seven or eight of them, pray for you every day. Mm. Well, you know, I, if, if you're trying to do the Lord's work and somebody else is praying for you to get it done, why somehow it's going to get done. It will. But God somehow made me better than I was. Mm. That's what I looked at. And, and, and my passion became broader, bigger than it, maybe it really was. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't understand why God would use. I had the least talent of all the people here probably, and I was not a theological yeah. oriented person or anything like that. So biblically, I was not the one, but I had a passion yeah. to reach the lost, and that was what made me different. And it, it speaks to living our lives in the Spirit or through the Spirit and not in our own power. Yeah. At that point, much can be accomplished. That's right. So I really only have one question. I had two questions left for Mark, Sorry. but I'm going to ask the, the most meaningful question, and that is this, Mark. What does Coach Callen mean to you? Yeah, you know, when he first thing came to mind when he, when I think you mentioned living through the spirit, I saw that in the Philippines. I mean, as we're traveling, and then you talk to coach later, how do we do that? He said, I don't know. God was just leading us. I don't know how we got there. I don't know. I didn't know what to expect, that kind of thing. But, you know, coach, coach is pretty humble. I can speak for my teammates and a lot of people that you just want somebody who is real in the Christian life. They just want to serve others. And he and Nedra have done that. And I know Coach, he'll give God the praise first and foremost, just doing what God has led him to do. And your uh, players were watching you, Coach. Mm. And so, you know, it's like it's like parenting. Your kids are watching you. And, you know, as a coach, you know, we were, we were watching him. And I said the same about Alan Monroe, my golf coach. And that mm-hmm. just rubs off mm-hmm. on you. And mm-hmm. it was just natural. And you knew... He loved us. Nedra loved us. And um, I just thought Cedarville was always like this. You know, I was just thankful to God that he brought me here and able to enjoy that and how much it has influenced uh, my life from the good times and as we navigate the bad times, they're always there. Yeah. And Mark's pastor was a good friend of mine, Marv Troyer. Yeah. Okay. And Marv was influenced when and Mark coming. Yeah. And uh, he had a huge impact on Mark. Family, your whole family. Right, right. definitely did. Yeah. Uh, it's a great story. And I, I want to thank you both for joining me uh, this week on the podcast. It's, it's great to, one, relive the memories that you mm-hmm. guys share together, but also to talk about Jesus and, and what he's done in your life and through you. So, um, Coach, it's always good to be with you. You thank too, you. Mark. Thanks, uh, Mark. Thanks for both of you for joining me this week on the podcast. Keep doing a good job. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory. Thank you.